You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. Our guest this week is Ronnie Abergel, and he is founder of the Human Library Organization. Founded in Copenhagen, Denmark, the Human Library is a way for people to reach out and connect with people in their community, people that they might not normally engage with. Instead of books, real people share their stories and are on loan to readers. At the heart of it, human libraries promote tolerance, celebrate differences, and encourage understanding of people who come from varied cultural or lifestyle backgrounds. Ronnie is a Danish journalist from the University of South Denmark and a multi-award-winning social change activist. After a friend was stabbed in 1993 at the age of 20, he became the founder of the Danish Stop the Violence movement. And in 2000, the creator of the Human Library concept and founder of the Human Library Organization. He is a profound and recognized speaker, from the World 50 to TEDx events around the globe. Since the sudden loss of his wife, artist Zoe Kofod, in 2013, he is a widower and a single father of two children. Ronnie lives with his kids in Copenhagen, Denmark, where he was himself raised by a single mother working two jobs. Throughout his life, He has periodically also lived in the Sinai Desert in Egypt and on the East Coast of the United States. Since 2000, Ronnie has been leading the work of the Human Library Organization to embed the Human Library in communities in more than 80 countries around the world. He is author of A Guide to to Organizers, excuse me, and the upcoming How to unjudge someone. We will be back shortly to speak with Ronnie and learn about the human library and the wonderful things it is doing. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show has been recorded. We would love for you to follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Ronnie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Good to be here. 
You know, I, I don't even remember how I came upon the human library, but the name of it caused me to do a little bit more reading. And it's just something that I have found completely fascinating and just such an awesome, awesome idea. Tell us about how you got to creating the library before we get into actually the the nuts and bolts of it all. Sure. Well, I think uh, looking back, because it was 23 years ago, it was uh, a, a perfect opportunity. We had a partner where I was working at the Danish Stop the Violence here in Copenhagen. We had a partner, a big music festival, and they approached us and they said, can you come up with an idea that can challenge our guests at this festival? And normally it'll be big bands playing there. It could be Bob Dylan. It could be the Beastie Boys. So I'm like, okay, how do we compete with the Beastie Boys? Which is difficult. Uh, <laughs> and, and, well, and literally we went into a, like a, we, we were four of us trying to come up with something. And I, when we went into the brainstorm, I said, look, I have this idea. It's a bit off, but it's, it's, I think it could work because it's really, it's a very social experimental space. So it's a very social experimental space, uh, the, the, the festival here. And so I figured if somebody's going to take a risk and a chance and gamble, it might be at this festival. And so I said to the others, what if we were to take people that we might consider either unpopular or at least, you know, groups that we think we know about and we have a negative image or negative bias or, or prejudice or, or have these stereotypes. And we could challenge these stereotypes by meeting them, sort of meeting the, the person that represent that group and who have the lived experience and then ask them any question, like if they could be an open book to us. And, uh, and so my friend said, oh, so you mean like a library? I said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a, like a human library where somebody said, I'll be an open book on my mental health or I'll be an open book on my religion or on my disability or on my occupation. So, for example, for the original event uh, back in 2000, we had police officers we had unemployed, we had people with HIV, we had people who had different orientations, we had people with uh, different social status, immigrants, refugees, we had people of, of many different religions on the bookshelf, just making themselves available. And in the position where you walk in, you ask for the topic you wanna to learn more about, and then a person comes out and says, hey, hi, my name is Ronnie, my topic is, and you could ask them any question about that topic. So I came up with the idea back then because we had an opportunity and we had funding. And I like to say that that's sort of two important circumstances to be creative and to test something, especially something that's a bit socially innovative or is demanding courage. Then you need to be in a situation where, you know, you're not dependent on certain revenue or this has to be a big success or you're going to be a big failure. We could take a chance. We could gamble. And then uh, one of my team members said, but Ronnie, if somebody is obese or somebody's bipolar or schizophrenic, why would they volunteer to be open about that? And I said, look, mm -hmm. if you had been misunderstood your whole life because you were obese or because you were schizophrenic or because you came from a different country, would you not want an opportunity to perhaps explain who you were sort of to avoid any further misunderstanding? And he was like, yeah. Actually, he thought they would. And so we, we made a call out. We, we built a list of, of topics we thought could be interesting. And uh, we made a call out in the networks that we were in and said, hey, is there anybody here that could help out? 
And a lot of people actually volunteered. We ended up having more than 75 different people come with us to the festival and be published there as open books to the guests of the festival. It's such a creative idea. Now, in that climate, was there a period of unrest that you felt needed to be addressed? Or was this just something that prior work had brought you to? No, I mean, there was, there was, the 90s here was very hostile to especially people of Muslim background. And that was not helped the year after with September 11th. So we had been on a sort of downward spiraling curve for a while in Denmark, where we were stigmatizing, especially immigrants from third world countries, and especially people that had a Muslim background. But I wasn't sort of specifically thinking, oh, let's put together a bookshelf full of people with Muslim background, because... Have you ever been to a library that had only one type of content? Mm -hmm. That's not really a library. So I thought we need to bring this group into play because they're very stigmatized, but so are many other groups. And so we, we sort of tried to find out who are the most stigmatized people in our community, in our society, in our culture, and let's reach out to them and see if they want to come and help build more understanding for the group that they represent in their community. So, but I think what we were coming out of, or sort of at least we had a long period, was this heavy stigmatization of especially people of Muslim background. And at a certain time, well, even people of different subcultural background, mid 90s, when rap music was really beginning to take off, uh, there was a lot of people here that was like, oh, why do they wear their pants down? And why do they wear such big pants? And their hats are in the wrong way. And no, people didn't understand. So whenever something new or something different comes around, there are always a certain apprehension, social apprehension and some condemnation. And if you had a safe space where you could actually learn, discover and explore without being judged for not knowing or without being canceled for using a wrong word, would you take advantage of such a space to actually sort of help develop yourself, get a, you know, broaden your horizons? And I thought I would. So why not try this and see in the most socially experimental place, uh, experiential space in Denmark at this festival? Why not try it out? And fortunately, knocking on wood here, it worked. And and over a thousand books were out on loan. I mean, we had over a thousand loans in those four days where we were open. That's fascinating. And what year was this again? This was in 2000. So in the 23 summer of 2000, years. Yeah, 23 years ago. We put together this library and everybody was saying to us, wow, such a novel idea. It's a great idea and it's very inclusive and it's sort of, you know, giving us opportunities we we didn't even know we needed. Exactly. And for the first, yeah, and for the first many years, that's kind of why it was working so progressing so very slowly. Well, you know, it's I always because- thought that I was, uh, you know, I... I- read things and and either you're a a beautifully kept little secret or I've been not checking in the right spots because I I have just heard about this literally six months ago. And I thought this has to be, it has to be advertised more. It really does. It's just a beautiful concept. I know. And thank you. But there's, I, it's my fault. If you haven't heard about it, you can blame me. Don't blame yourself. (laughs) I'm not a terrible promoter or bad marketing person. I'm just also very careful that we don't spread too soon because mm. what does it matter that half of Canada wants to do this and we're not available? Yeah. You know, what can I do with all that interest? Nothing. 
And how many times are you going to walk into a store or an institution looking for a service and find that it's not available? And then in the end, you'll have animosity towards yourself. So it's similar to what happened to Sony PlayStation. They put the new machine out, but they didn't have enough hardware. And it made a lot of their core consumers quite angry. Mm-hmm. We don't have core consumers at the human library, but we've got readers and readers have expectations. And if we can't fulfill those expectations, they're going to be disappointed. And that's going to hurt our word of mouth. So we took it very careful, especially. Uh, and to this day, we're basically walking slowly and carrying a big stick. The reason is we don't have enough books. We need more books. We need hundreds of thousands of books to accommodate the global demand. So I'm actually sort of taking it rather slow in that sense, because if everybody with a sense and sensibility to them heard about this idea at the same time, the influx of interest in readers would make us suffocate. It would drown us. Mm -hmm. And in the end, people also would have some animosity and be like, why are these people not available? Why don't they answer my emails? I wrote them five times on Instagram. I don't have an answer and they get impatient. And, oh, it's and a refreshing so, model, Ronnie, that you want to make sure the customer service base is set first. I love it. I think well, it's great. That, Everything about this that, this is wonderful. Thank you. But that too, and that you have a quality experience, but yeah. also that we have that we have the books to accommodate the demand. So we have to sort out models for recruiting, models for building infrastructure, how to make this infrastructure sustainable so that it could serve the communities. And this is how we've gone about it for the past 10 years is building sustainable infrastructure for the human library. And I'm you know, happy to say that we're soon opening the first official book depot in Ontario, mm-hmm. in Canada. And so you'll begin to see a lot more events, especially in that region to start. It's exciting. It's really, really exciting. Tell, Ronnie, tell me, you know, when the, the grassroots started this, when it was starting of this project, were you more surprised with your books or with your readers? Well, I was very surprised with some of the books because for some of the books, this was easy to show up and talk about, you know, why do you have this piercing in your nose and this tattoo or, you know, on your on your throat? Or why did you body modify yourself? That is not such a difficult thing to talk about. But when you come to the victim of incest, when mm-hmm. you come to the victim of bullying, someone who was bullied their whole life going through school, when you come to uh, to, to borrow a book uh, with somebody who has a severe disability and is mo- mobility impaired and, and, you know, that just have very much and uphill, have had an uphill struggle in their life and been shamed for who they are even, you know, transgender and, and others. It's just such a courage, such a courage to, to step up, to make yourself available, to meet with strangers and to openly and honestly answer their questions in the, in the hope that they'll walk away with more empathy, more understanding, at least more respect for people like you, it's just, I thought that was, that's just overwhelming to me. Um, so some of these books, and then some of the readers too, because sitting down and engaging in a conversation, very frank and honest with somebody that had gone through some of the things that we publish is also, you know, a big ask. And and it's it demands some courage and some curiosity and the ability to park your normal social apprehension like i don't want to talk about that that makes me uncomfortable because there could be a moment of uncomfortability here 
uh, when you're about to talk about something that could be very disturbing or very um, moving in the sense that this is a, a person's personal journey. So I think there's courage on both sides of this process. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of seeing that courage practiced in India, in Bangladesh, in Japan, in New Zealand, in Canada, in Denmark, in Sweden. We're in, we've published people in more than 80 countries around the world. And it turns out stigmas, biases, prejudices, and stereotypes, they're universal to mankind. We all judge, Kathy. We all put people in little boxes. We do it mostly for our own safety and comfort. It's part of our human navigation. Like you want to get home safe. If you see something very different, you make a quick risk assessment. And part of that risk assessment is printing a label, you know, okay, potentially dangerous, or this person looks intoxicated. Oh, wait, this looks like somebody that just came from the Stanley Cup. They might be drunk and aggressive if their team lost. You know, we're making these math calculations the whole time. And it's just, it's unavoidable. So uh, we can't switch it off. People judge. We judge. We judge each other. We judge our partners, our children, our neighbors, our parents. Oh my God, they don't call enough. They don't help out with the kids, or you know, our our bosses, our colleagues. We are all, in that sense, our own little judge, and we judge ourselves sometimes very harshly. So, why not give it a safe space where we could potentially unjudge, unjudge someone or ourselves? Uh, I've come to learn from myself being very judgmental in my youth. I've come to understand that I cut myself off from a lot of people and a lot of opportunity because I just quickly put them in boxes, close up that box and put it away. And it could be boxes like not interested, not relevant, don't like, especially the dislike boxes were full. And all of these people had something they could have contributed to my life with if I'd given them a chance if I had just taken a chance to get to know them, I didn't. So who loses out? We do, we all do. So when you walk out into your community and you don't know your neighbors properly or you don't care enough to know them, who do you think loses out on that? Everybody, and do especially you. you. Do you yeah. think your library, have you seen firsthand, because I know you started um, in a small community there. Do you think this underlying unjudge somebody, unjudge someone, ethos. Do you think, you know, you, you read a book, you read a couple of books, you do your interview with someone. Can you see a broadening, an expanse from what you are doing? Because it would permeate it. You know, you, you, you take out a book on one subject, you go, I had no idea. Do you think that permeates into other areas of life? Well, one, I think it does. And two, I see at our public events, People come, they may have a specific thing on their mind they want to do, but when they're done doing that, they're so blown away, they're like, I'm going to get another one. And they'll get another book. And they'll, some, some people stay all day. We even have people that come back. In Amsterdam recently, we were partnering with a global brewery, Heineken, on building an event for the Amsterdam Pride. And it wasn't so recent. It was August last year actually, but it was a great week in Amsterdam where we were open every day at this cafe, uh, the Amstel Hook, which is the Amstel Corner in Amsterdam, a great place that we could facilitate a public borrowing space there. Anybody could walk in off the street. 
no purchase necessary or anything. In fact, the, the cafe sponsored uh, coffee and snacks and stuff. It was an incredible week. And, um, and, and we had people that came every day. So they were like, are you open again tomorrow? I said, sure. We're open all week here for the Pride. And they came out every day to borrow new books. And one guy got on a train from Paris because he saw on our social media that we're open in Amsterdam this week. And he got on a train from Paris. He, he told his called in for work. He said, "I'm leaving. I'm leaving work early tomorrow. I got to go to Amsterdam." Got on a train, came over, and spent almost you know half the day with us. So um, I believe that this is uh, even for people who would be, let's say, um, not members of the congregation, not looking to explore diversity on purpose, not feeling as if they have anything to learn. They'll learn something here, and they'll be surprised. And I've seen very critical people, very skeptical people come in, especially through the work, uh, the company and corporate events that we're doing. They come in through work, and they're like, oh, my God, when I saw on the calendar two hours blocked, I thought, what the hell is this? And I could have spent the whole day reading these books. So even very skeptical or maybe even conservative people or people who are socially apprehensive, normally not too open to meet strangers, come back to us with raving reviews, as we call it. So it's just been, the response has been overwhelming, and that's why we've continued to do this. It's simply because we've been everywhere we've met, we've come out, we've been embraced, we've been met with, with um, appreciation, with respect, and with sincerity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just people saying, oh, this was great, uh, thank you so much. No, it's people saying, wow, this was amazing, this was a... Uh, you know, eye-opening to me. Even we got letters from people saying, hey, this changed my whole perspective on certain things in life and on the way I'm dealing with certain things. So it can be self-developing to have this process. It can be cathartic. So yeah, I'm not it, saying we're, yeah, we're yeah. not a cult, we're not a religion, <laughs> agenda, but we definitely can offer something to anybody who comes in, no matter their background. I think it's just an unbelievable, you know, it, in its in its form, it's simplistic. It's a conversation, but I think yes. the courage of both sides to to take the chance with both very very different agendas. I think it's a great commentary on on the human spirit, and I think what you're doing is fascinating. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Ronnie, I really want to get into how this functions so people get a really good sense, because as you mentioned, it is coming here to Canada, and I think it's something that we should all really, really investigate. So everybody, we will be back in just a minute. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back. We are having a great conversation here with Ronnie Abergill. We're talking about the Human Library. He is the founder. And Ronnie, we talked about what it is, and I think we laid a, a great, solid ideological foundation for what that is. Let's get into um, how the, you know, the mechanics of it all. What do you do? What is your call out to people first? I need books or do you give certain topics or do you ask people to approach you with the, with what they want to talk about? 
Well, we call out always <laughs> on a weekly basis to get new books. We always need more books. But when we're building a new book collection for a certain area, like we are now for Ontario, we've got a call out for people who could help us create these safe spaces where readers can come in. Sometimes it'll be off the street. If we're in a public library, you'd walk in off the street, you come into the public library, you'd be met by a librarian from the human library who will introduce the concept, you know, present you with the rules, bring the book back on time, don't take it home, treat it the way you want to be treated, and then guide you through the literature that's available and tell you, you have 30 minutes to ask any question you want, which topic would you want to know more, are you most interested in learning more about? And then, you know, guide you through that selection. And let's say you ended up on bipolar. Then a librarian would call out the bipolar person who volunteered to be an open book for you, introduce you to each other, and you would go sit somewhere in, in a supervised space in the sense that we have our volunteer librarians circulating the space, reading body language, checking faces, uh -huh. making sure nobody needs help, and that everybody is okay. And then from there... You'll sit down and that person that volunteered to be an open book will bring about their introduction, which is a three to five minute short spiel saying, hey, my name is, I am bipolar. I'm an open book because I've met a lot of prejudice and stereotypes about my mental health background. Actually being bipolar for me means, and then give you an introduction to that. And also reassuring you, interrupt me anytime ask me any question you would like about this and I'm happy to answer. And before you know it, you're in the middle of a conversation. And it's sometimes you're one-to-one, -one, sometimes you bring a partner or a friend or a husband or children, you share a book. Uh, in schools, we're typically four to six students will share a book in a group. And in the workspace too, we're probably somewhere between four and six that will share a book. So basically you don't have to ask questions all the time, but you can but you also want to leave space for other readers to be asking questions. And before you know it, those 30 minutes are gone, just like this interview. Mm -hmm. um, a librarian come in a few minutes before it's over and say, hey, it's time to get that last question in there now because this reading is almost over. So they'll come and nudge you to tell you uh, the clock is ticking, party people. And if you, mm -hmm. after 10 minutes, if you have no more questions, you could bring the book back. You could also try and say after the 30 minutes, wow, I really want to continue this conversation. Can I just go to the desk and check if you're available for another talk? And would you mind extending the loan? So just like you could extend the loans of your real books at the library, you could ask if it's possible to extend the loan and maybe keep the book for another 15 minutes or 30 minutes more. Sometimes there's no queue. Sometimes there is. Very often there will be a so in the public libraries or the festivals or community centers, wherever we are, you're free to walk in with whoever you want, borrow a book, just treat it with respect. In your educational institution, it's a little bit different in the sense that the whole framing is kind of the same, but we can't have everybody walk up to the desk, 100 students asking for the same book, because then, you know, there's an imbalance. So we will do the reading plan in advance. We will place the students in small reading groups, and then books will circulate every 30 minutes. And during the format that we call the Human Library Reading Hall, you'll get to read three books. And then you come home and you're blown away. You're like, wow, this was no coincidence because I met three very, very different people that all helped me in the same way, just understand very different issues. So those are the mechanics. And as, as the public library is, 
we are free to readers. So there's no charge at the human library. Just remember those sort of rules of engagement, you know, treat the book with the same respect you want to be treated. Be sincere when you're asking the questions and don't be afraid if you're using the right vocabulary. As long as you're sincere and respectful, the book will help you if you're not using the right words to, to say, hey, uh, as a transgender, I prefer that you use these and these pronouns. And then you will be sort of helped to understand uh, the things you may not understand at the time of, of, of when the conversation starts. Are there hot topics that you stay away from? No, there are ethical boundaries to this format that we need to adhere to. And it's mm -hmm. people who are campaigning, people who are missioning, people who are intolerant. So who are there because, oh, my God, I hate all Muslims or I hate all transgender or I, I hate all the immigrants that have come to Canada. There's there's a million, you, you know, you can go to Twitter and talk that kind of crap. Uh, so at our library, that's not what it's for. It's more to, to help you understand some of the groups that you may be a little insecure and certain about. So we won't accept readers like that, and we won't publish books either that have a, a big chip on their shoulder mm -hmm. or a vegan who's trying to convince you to stop eating meat, you know, or yeah. a Christian who wants to, you to convert or become religious. That's not what the platform is for. Uh, we're also not a storytelling format. So in the sense, if somebody comes in and say, hey, I would love to be a book, and then they talk for 25 minutes and then say, okay, you readers now have five minutes to ask me questions. That's not really what we consider a reading at the human library. And so we would not republish you again because you're not adhering to the methodology. There's 844 wonderful storytelling platforms in the world. There's only one human library. So we need to protect this framework. We need to make sure that it's the right people that are on the bookshelf that understand the methodology and that they all represent one of those 15 pillars of prejudice that are part of our baseline and methodology. So they'll come for like the social pillar will be people who are unhoused or unemployed or um, refugees or immigrants. Occupational pillar, you could borrow a politician or a sex worker or a police officer or a journalist or somebody else, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> or somebody else that you have a very strong opinion about. Well, and sorry, you can continue. Yep. Oh, and so for every pillar, there's a lot of topics that could be yielded and you need to belong in, in one of them. You have to fit into <laughs> one of them. Um, if you don't belong, you don't belong on the bookshelf in the sense. So the way of the world now is to do a lot of online presence. Does, is the human library a sit down coffee shop face to face or are there online on demand? Um, platforms that are available? We are both. We are very strong in person and it's an incredible experience, but because of distance, geography, and many other things, we're also, and, and COVID, we're also very, very much available online. <clears throat> so online, there are two formats that we could go with. One is the curated space, which happens on Zoom, which is every other Sunday, free to the public, follow our social media to sign up, Again, it's free. So you have to be there at a certain given time, and then you'll be part of that online event. Then we've recently, uh, since August last year, launched a website-based software with a virtual bookshelf where you're literally logging on, grabbing a library card, selecting your reading plan, 
and then going into the virtual bookshelf and choosing the topic and the time. So let's say today we're publishing 10 books at the Human Library Online. At 10 o'clock, there is somebody who's schizophrenic. At 1 o'clock, there is an eating disorder. Oh, sorry, at 11, there's a trans. At 12, there's a refugee. At 1 o'clock, eating disorder. At 2 p.m., there's a suicide survivor. At 3 p.m., there's somebody who will talk to you about obesity. At 4 p.m., somebody who was unhoused. And at 5 p.m., somebody who's living with HIV or with a visible disability. So you choose sort of in that sense, which topic is most interesting for you to learn more about and what time fits best for you. So, I mean, obviously there has to be some costs involved here. Um, It's free to the people, free to the books. How do you go about getting funding? Do you draw in corporations on some platform? We've been fortunate to partner with some of the biggest brands in the world, and they have enabled us to provide a free service in the community. It's not an unlimited service. We can't service everybody in 85 countries around the world at the same time, but we're able to provide a lot of opportunity based on the resources we're taking in. And we're taking in those resources by training the staff of companies like the Toronto Dominion Bank, uh, for example, or Ontario Health, uh, who has supported us in building a book depot so we can help train their staff. So we do charge corporations and for-profit partners and then sort of invest what we can back into the community. But it is in principle free to the reader, even in the workspace, I mean, the the individual staff member is not paying to be part of the service, but their leadership did. So we're calling on here in Ontario. This is is this what needs to be done first before you can launch getting the corporate backing? I think, well, I think if we don't have that corporate backing, then there's very little money to build infrastructure mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So that is the first important step is securing these publishing partnerships, both the civil society ones and the corporate ones. In the combination of those two, we can build sustainable book depots that will serve the communities for years and years. Like the one here in Copenhagen is over 10 years old and it's got over 200 books in it and it's hosting plus 45, 50 events a year. So every couple of days there is an event here uh, hosted based on this book, book collection. So there's lots of opportunity. In fact, in Copenhagen, if you're ever here, every Sunday you can walk into our reading garden and borrow books and sit in the garden. So we have, uh, you could say, a great experience in establishing this infrastructure, but we do need two types of partners, local publishing partners in the public space and these corporate partners that help fund the work and who are also gaining because this is an important tool on their diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally, you're creating a more inclusive workplace, which is a more competitive, more innovative, and just a great place to work. Um. With it, with respect to Ontario, because I want to give you lots of space here, um, with respect to Ontario and launching, what is your ETA for launching and what do you need from us here? Well, we need a lot of books. So if you're sitting at home listening to this program thinking, hey, I could be an open book. I have a lived experience that often people are, you know, challenged to talk about or have biases about or I've been stigmatized because of who I am or what I've experienced, then please consider visiting our website and and applying to be published. Then we will vet and train and help you uh, become a great open book. 
We also do need publishing partners, as I mentioned before. So if you work at an institution, at a library, at a university, college, high school, and you're thinking, wow, this could be great to bring this on campus or bring this to our students or to our you know, um, community, our patrons, then reach out, let us know, and then we'll try and work something out because we're in the pipeline of building this book depot, which means we already have staff on the ground in Ontario trying to recruit books um, and find more books for us because we do need to get this open before the fall. So hopefully by August, to begin rendering public events. Uh, maybe not a lot to start, but we'll, we'll have a frequency up. And then by this time next year, wow, we should have a great flow of events running. So the more the merrier, we can never have too many books. And, and you know, don't worry about whether you think, oh, I'm not interesting. If you represent a stigmatized group in the community, we will make sure uh, readers can benefit from meeting you. That's fascinating. And where is your first launch? Have you got that done yet in Ontario? Well, our first launch is well, well. We have it's in June, and it's for on it's for staff members from Ontario Health. So the first launch is a corporate launch, and that's obviously because, let's be honest, that's where the money is coming from. Um, it's not coming from the public library or the local college. It's coming from Ontario Health. So we're going to be serving Ontario Health with lots of learning opportunities to help their staff, and then from there on expand the circles that we're publishing in which means the public offering will come right after. I don't have a list of the institutions here that are gonna be joining, but I know that there are established partnerships in Toronto and outside that are looking for this opportunity and just waiting for our books to be ready. So so we do hope to get a lot more visibility uh, over the next six months. And it also becomes self-reinforcing is what we've seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we started publishing in Los Angeles on a regular basis, just through the Santa Monica Public Library, and you wouldn't believe what has come from it. You know, public uh, corporate opportunities, more public partners, more books, more readers, just all around positive impact from just a starting. So once we get started, it's gonna grow. It grows by itself. It's a little bit like that movie with Kevin Costner called Field of Dreams, <laughs> where his, fa- his father is a ghost and he's talking to him and he says, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with this library. If we build it, readers will come, books will come, and more publishing partners will come. So Ontario, get ready, because we're coming. Tell me this, from a corporate, I'm banging this drum because obviously it's where you need to be, you know, you need your feet on the ground. On a corporate level or on a, you know, as someone who's going to be able to provide funds to support the project, can corporations choose the subject matter, the types of books they want, or is that not the idea behind it? To a certain extent, they can. I mean, they okay. can guide us and tell us, look, this year we're very much focused on neurodiversity, on disability, on orientation, and on um, mental health. Great. So we'll try and zoom in on that for the sessions we're going to be doing together. But we can't let them censor or dictate Mm -hmm. the content of the bookshelf. It doesn't work that way. And it happened to us in Russia when we were hosting an event in a public institution that they called us two days before. And then they said, look, everybody's welcome except the gay man. And we had to say, look, if there's 20 books coming, the gay book is one of them. If, If the gay book is not allowed, none of the books will come. And they said, okay, but then you can't come. And so we're not allowed in any state buildings in Russia anymore. 
we're always in a private space when we're hosting events in Russia. So we, you've got to say that some countries, they, have, they try to censor you and you just got to work around that, not allow that to happen. And some companies obviously will say, look, there are certain topics that are working well in the public space, like, for example, polyamorous. It's a lifestyle topic. It comes from the lifestyle pillar. But is it relevant in the workspace? Obviously not. Obviously mm-hmm. not. In the DEI zone, we're looking specifically at, at issues that can help us create a more inclusive company and remove barriers for inclusion uh, there. And that doesn't pertain to your you know, love life uh, in that mm-hmm. sense, whether you're polyamorous or you're asexual or it's it's more about, you know, um, do you have a disability? Is there a neurodiversity in your background that we need to, certain considerations, certain barriers, certain obstacles. So we want to zoom in on that and help them, but we can't work thematically. So I couldn't bring 20 people that have a visible disability and then call it a library. Yeah. Because okay. if you've been to a library with just one type of content, mm-hmm. that then it becomes lobbying. Then it becomes agitation. And that means people will be resisting Whatever they could learn in the space, they'll be resisting that. And yeah. that's another reason also why we don't pay books. Books are not paid. Even the ones that go to the corporate space, for we cover all the direct incurred costs that we can, but we don't pay books because if you're sitting there as their reader and you realize they're getting paid 200 Canadian dollars to sit there, then can you trust anything that they're saying anymore? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so for their credibility... And for our credibility, there can be no other motivation than helping build an understanding for the group in the community that you represent on the bookshelf of the Human Learning I think it's just a fascinating, wonderful, wonderful concept. And I, I look forward to it coming to Ontario. I really do. Um, where can people reach out if they want to find out more, if they want to volunteer services? How can they get a hold of you? Well, it would be great if they reach out through the Human Library org website where there are application forms for volunteer librarians volunteering as books even just any other type of volunteering it's also a place where they can pick up merchandise if they want to support our work thus empowering us to you know progress faster because with money you can do more um, and they can also get orientated on our social media we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram all of it under the human library organization and you can follow, you know, when are the publishing opportunities coming near you or sign up for some of the online offerings that are available every other Sunday, which are predominantly in English. We do also host events in Spanish, but most of the events are in English. And so I think uh, most people, at least in Ontario, could could um, could take advantage. Well, Ronnie, I want to thank you so much for all that you're doing for humanity. Uh, I think it's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful concept. I look forward to to it coming to Ontario. And I thank you so much for your time uh, ex- explaining it all to us today. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. And thank you for helping spread the word. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.